and welcome to the Divisional Round podcast here on the Lines, lines.com. Matt Brown, Stephen Andrus, and Adam Candy. If you want to follow us on the Twitter machine, and you probably should, go in, Adam Candy, two E's, no Y, Stephen Andrus, one, and Matt Brown, M, two. Of course, everything we do, absolutely free here, guys, so do appreciate the support. That's all we're asking. We ain't asking for your money. We just want to subscribe, rate, review. If you're listening to the audio side, if you're on the YouTube side of things, just hit that subscribe button down below and then give us a thumbs up. Let us know in the comment section, what's your best bet of the week? We only got four games to choose from, and it is, uh, it's an interesting week. couple of larger spreads, one spread that got a little bit bigger and one that may continue to grow by the time we get to kick off here. So, guys, I'm super interested this week in what you guys are on. We had a pretty good week last week as well. I think we were fairly into how the majority of those games were going to go outside of that Bucks game. So I think we're uh think we're on the right track and we need outside that Bucks game. Well, for me anyway, I had a teaser later. <laughs> like, yeah, I mean, uh, that was that was pretty terrible, but outside of that, you know, yeah, I mean seriously, we got uh we got eight teams left, so let's get her done. Jacksonville Jaguars and the Kansas City Chiefs. We are recording this early on Friday morning. So this thing is toggling between eight and a half and nine right now. So I don't know where this will be by the time that you ingest this, but it is eight and a half or nine right now as we record this. A total of 52 and a half or 53. As we know, Kansas City coming off of a bye. Even with that bye week, Nicole Hardman was not able to get back out there for them, and he has been ruled out. On the Jags side of things, I don't have to tell you how that all went with the Jags last week. You are a sports fan. You're watching this. You know how it all went down. So they go on the road here to Kansas City, which I would guess, guys, and, you know, one of the, if not the biggest home field advantages left in the playoffs. I know people are probably going to point to Buffalo, but. You know, we know Kansas City, super, super loud. The fans didn't get an opportunity to get to a game last week. So this is going to be their first game in a couple of weeks as well. I expect this Chiefs crowd and and stadium to be rocking and rolling out there. Uh, Steven, I'll start with you here on this one. Uh, it is a Jags team. Despite the miracle comeback last week, we I think we all can agree they fall down to this Chiefs team, and it's going to be a different story. Andy Reid and company certainly are not going to do any of the most ridiculous things in the NFL like we saw last week with the Chargers. So Jags are going to have to keep this thing close to start out, or, or this could be over really, really quick. Yeah, I agree with you guys. The theme for me with these Saturday games is I can't help kick the feeling that the lines are a little light for the favorites, and we have – second half of season matchups between these two teams to go back on and see what the closing lines were. And then we determine how much has really changed between these two teams between now and then. And with the first matchup between the Kansas city chiefs and the Jacksonville Jaguars chiefs won by 10, despite three turnovers in the game, um, despite the Jags getting an onside kick to open the matchup up. And if you look at what, the Chiefs did offensively against Jacksonville. They moved the ball at will. The only time they were stopped is when they turned the ball over. 7.8 yards per play for Kansas City, 5.2 for Jacksonville. They win by 10. In my opinion, they should have won that game by more. I was on the Jags in that game to cover nine and a half. And, you know, the, I think the simplistic way to say that the Jags didn't cover is because they missed a couple of field goals. But if you look big picture here with this, with the way that matchup played out, Kansas City really should have won by more in that game. And now you factor in Andy Reid coming off of a bye week, who is a master at getting his teams ready off of a bye week. And, you know, I, I guess I'll leave it to you guys because I really haven't decided how exactly I feel about that Jaguars comeback last week. What Should I feel really good about it or should I feel like they got lucky and, and won that game? Because I think the fact that this is still eight and a half at some spots as we record this morning sets up for a slam dunk teaser leg for the Kansas City Chiefs. And I am of the opinion that Jacksonville's defense through the second half of the season really was about playing a lot of poor quarterbacks down the stretch. Uh, if we take a look at this, Adam, this Jags team, it's a good story. And I certainly think that they are on the right trajectory, right? I mean, we talked a lot over the last kind of 
closing weeks of the season of teams that we're maybe looking to target as we enter next year with the win totals that open up with these uh, you know, divisional bets and stuff like that. And certainly the Jags are going to be on my radar. I was talking about how they needed a number one receiver, having completely forgot that they traded for Calvin Ridley, kind of outside out of mind type deal. So he's going to be coming in there to go along with Zay Jones and Christian Kirk. And I think that's a pretty solid wide receiver trio for, for Trevor Lawrence. But this is a team this season that has trailed by four or more points on 51% of the plays since week 10. So, you know, the defense didn't really get that much better. The offense didn't really get that much better over the tail end of the season. It was just, I think, an excellent coaching job by Doug Peterson and company to, to keep this team in everything and, and certainly to get them to the playoffs. I think it was a fine story last week of a comeback from 27 to nothing. Certainly, I think it shows the mental resolve of Trevor Lawrence, anyone that was questioning that. I mean, a guy that goes out and just gets absolutely demolished in the first half and able to do what he did in the second half. I think we can, you know, get rid of all these concerns about about this guy. Certainly the talent is there, but I think the luck runs out this week. I mean, this Chiefs team, I was wrong about. We were right about a lot of things this season. I was wrong about it. I thought they would take a step back on the offensive side of the ball. You lose, you know, one of the most explosive, if not the most explosive receiver in all of the NFL, and somehow your offense just continues to chug right along. Andy Reid, just an absolute genius when it comes to all that. And, you know, coming out of a bye here at home, crowd's going to be jacked up, man. They're going to be into it. I Fine story for the Jags for me, but I think this is it. I'm not going to play a side in this game. And it goes back to what Steven talked about with the first game between these teams. So 27-17 final really doesn't tell the story of how it went, but that happened, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and, we, and we can't ignore the fact that that happened the way that it happened. And is it repeatable? Probably not in, in the fashion that it did happen. But uh, Kansas City was dominant offensively in that game. Patrick Mahomes, 0.55 uh, EPA per play for him. It was uh, it was one of the better offensive performances we've seen out of Kansas City. Now, we've talked a lot on this podcast about the fact that Kansas City has not covered some large numbers mm-hmm. over time. And this is obviously the largest spread of the week. It's only going to get larger from here. I think you're going to hear just about every smart person you listen to, if you're listening to this podcast and others, say uh, Kansas City and Philadelphia in a teaser, right? The numbers make the numbers make all the sense in the world. I'm not here to tell you otherwise. I think I agree. I think it makes all the sense in the world. If that's what you want to do, then then I think I can wholeheartedly endorse that. Uh, This Jacksonville team fell to three and seven at the time that they lost that game to Kansas City. And they were very fortunate to play a number of teams that were uh, subpar mm-hmm. down the stretch. So I, I don't think my opinion differs a whole lot from you guys, and I won't waste anyone's time with uh, more analysis of a game that I think we all have a pretty firm handle on how we believe it's going to go. Yeah, I am uh, I, I am. I'm on that teaser leg. Again, I'm on the call it the squarest teaser leg on the face of the planet, call it the squarest teaser in the world. Yes, I have Chiefs minus two and a half, Eagles minus one and a half in the account. Already, it was one of the first bets that I made this week. I was afraid that this was going to get away from us. Now, it has started to drift a little bit at some of the books out there. So it is ticking up and toggling between eight and a half and nine. As, as of course, people start to really get into betting these games in earnest this weekend. So again, if you see the eight and a half, just know it's probably going to hit nine at some point. So you might want to go ahead and jump on it if you do want to make that part of your teaser leg. Guys, one of the things that the Jags have had a, a lot of trouble with this year is covering the tight end position. As we know, Travis Kelsey, the most dominant tight end in all the NFL, and he has the stats to back it up as to when his utilization is there. Uh, Travis Kelsey had, had 31 red zone targets this year. Most of the NFL, I probably don't have to tell you that. And he had 10 red zone touchdowns, also the most in the NFL this year. The Jags linebackers and safeties, are just not good at coverage, right? At their at their singular positions, the linebackers rank 29th, 80th, and 82nd in coverage grade, according to Pro Football Focus. If you go over to the safety position, the they rank 35th and 87th. The safety that ranks 35th has only been in 19 coverage snaps all season as it is anyway, so it's not even like that's a job that's ever asked um, there. So Travis Kelsey, I think, is in for 
a day here. They gave up 9.5 yards per target to tight ends this year, 13 yards per catch to tight ends this year, which was 30th in the NFL. Um, so for me, I really like Kelsey pretty much in all facets here. If you want to play him anytime touchdown, two plus touchdowns, uh, you know, receptions, uh, first touchdown score, however you want to go about it. Like I think any and all Kelsey bets are in play here because it is just a big time, big time mismatch between the guys that, that might be covering him. And even if he does not get covered man to man here, guys, you guys watch enough football. And if you're listening out there and you're a chiefs fan, you've watched enough football to know this, but if you don't like against zone coverage, Kelsey just knows exactly where to him and him and Mahomes have this unbelievable ability where he just knows he's telling Patrick Mahomes through the back of his helmet. I'm going to go sit down in the zone right here. Like, I mean, like in this perfect, like it's, they have this perfect chemistry where Kelsey just goes and sits down in the zone, takes the pass, gets another three or four yards and falls down or whatever. I, I think that this is a huge day for him. And I would not, I would not dissuade anybody from betting basically any, any Kelsey prop this week. Yeah, I don't, I don't disagree with that whatsoever, Matt. There's a couple other props I like with the running backs on Kansas City this week. The first is Isaiah Pacheco. If if this line in total is telling us the way the game script is going to go, then there's going to be some positive game script for Pacheco, especially in the second half. And I think his rushing yardage total is a little light here. You can find... Uh, better than minus 110 juice on over 48 and a half right now at a couple at, at least one book and you know worst case 50 and a half on some of these other books eight of his past nine weeks he's gone for more than 50 rushing yards seven of his past nine weeks he's gone for more than 60 rushing yards so he is the early down back at this point mm-hmm. for the Kansas City Chiefs the other angle I like is Jarek McKinnon because it seems like when he's not throwing to Kelsey Unlike some of these other quarterbacks we've seen in the playoffs, Mahomes has no issue with checking it down. And McKinnon has been dynamic in the backfield as a receiver. So uh, this has ticked up a couple of yards since I bet it a couple of days ago. But I still like over 34 and a half receiving yards for Jarek McKinnon. He has hit that three of his past five games. And, you know, I think the last week of the season you could probably take out as him not playing his normal yeah. amount of snaps. So. Um, yeah, I, I like both of those numbers here. I think they're a little light on the KC backfield. Adam, I don't want to throw a, a a prop market at you here that you have not properly researched, but do just want to kind of get your opinion on this because as we only have four games, we know people are going to be digging a little bit deeper. We know that people are going to be looking for some more stuff to get into their accounts because there's just fewer games to bet on. They have these weekly specials where it's the player to throw for the most pass yards for the week, right? We know there's only eight quarterbacks that are left and you take a look and I think we can kind of start to eliminate some guys really off the top here, probably Daniel Jones and Jalen hurts because they are going to eliminate themselves just with their, with a rushing yardage. Right. I mean, they're, they're going to be running a ton, whatever Brock Purdy likely not to be that guy again. And Dak Prescott, as good as they were last week, I think against that San Francisco defense, we probably expect at least a little bit of regression here. So now at this point, it becomes between Mahomes, Allen and Burrow. I for me, just because they just don't run very much as it is anyway, I feel like it's between Mahomes and and Burrow. Do you have a thought there on on who might throw for the most yards this week? I only would get involved in that market if I didn't think. Cincinnati Buffalo wasn't over, mm-hmm. uh, which I do. Uh, I, I think we're going to have a lot of scoring in that Cincinnati uh-huh. Buffalo game, which adds in a decent amount of variance to that. So if you think Cincinnati Buffalo might not be as high of scoring, then sure, get involved with Mahomes because I don't think there's another uh, clear answer there. Uh, but beyond that, I, I think I would probably pass. And Steven, I know you're not much of a totals player and, and Adam, just a, a quick thought from you as well, but we get our, our highest total in, in quite a while, right? I mean, we haven't in this, this era of the NFL, we haven't, we don't see very many 53s anymore. And so here we are with a, a 53 in this Jags chief game. I'm guessing given the line, given whatever that they're baking in some garbage time stuff here for the Jags, they're baking in that the chiefs are going to get a lead and the Jags are going to be able to kind of do that. I don't think that this is kind of the head to head with a nine point spread. I don't think this is kind of a head to head back and forth shootout type situation that they're estimating. Steven 53 on this is, is fairly interesting. We've passed that 51 threshold, which you know is that 
kind of key-ish number, right, when it comes to totals right. and stuff. So uh, what do you think about a 53 total? Not not interested in the under. I'll say mm-hmm. that not with not with what Jacksonville's defense has been, and obviously the how elite Kansas City's offense is. Um, it looks like weather is pretty much clear here. Maybe a chance yeah. of some snow flurries in Kansas City, but pretty decent weather game for January in 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 the plains. Kansas City, the Plains? Yeah, sure. Why sure. not? Why not? <laughs> sure. So, yeah, I, I'd only be interested in the over here, but when it totals is this high, Matt, I tend to like to just wait and see if they get off to a bit of a slow start and get a discount on the live over because this is about as high as we've seen all season long when it comes to, to overs. It's um, There's been a lot of too high shells with defenses, and um, it's tough to get there if, if defenses are going to play that way. Adam 53, we've got a, so what this kind of works out to given the spread to puts the chiefs kind of right at a 30 point implied team total ish, something like that. And the Jags kind of in that 22 and a, in a quarter, 22 and three quarters and stuff. So, um, you, you know, again, we just don't see very many totals this high in today's NFL. So what did you, what did you think on this one when you did see the 53? Under uh, yeah. and, and, and under for a couple of reasons. Uh, first of all, I don't think we think of the Kansas City defense as playing particularly well this year. I think it was bad early and better mm-hmm. later. And if you average it out, uh, DVOA has them as the number 17 defense in the league. And it's kind of all they have to be uh, for that offense to hum along and win games for them. But like you said, it the score essentially works out to 30-22 mm-hmm. uh, in that case, which tells me a couple of things. Uh, first of all, that they're assuming, like you said, that Jacksonville is going to be able to chase a little bit, but they're also assuming that everything goes right for Kansas City, mm-hmm. right? Because they look at the last game, as Stephen pointed out, 27 points, three turnovers, 7.8 yards per play. It has to go that way. Any, anything less than that. And I think you're probably looking at a game that could very easily land 27-24 and, and still get you to an under. Now, I'm not saying I think it's going to be 27-24 or else I'd be betting the Jaguars. But, <laughs> you know, uh, I think that I I cannot get involved with yeah. betting this thing over at 53, not in what the NFL is today. Yeah, it is going to be fascinating, guys. And as we said, you know, if you are interested in that teaser leg, just chop around a bit. If your book of choice is hanging nine, likely there's an eight and a half out there, at least if you're seeing this anytime soon. Uh, but but they're, they're going to be toggling for sure. And it looks like it's trending towards nine. So get in on that. New York football giants and the Philadelphia Eagles. As we sit right now on a Friday morning, it is seven and a half in favor of the Eagles. A couple of eights have now popped in favor of the Eagles. 48, 48 and a half is your total, as we always do. We're going to start with Adam on this one. Adam, as we as people look back, and we like to do so often when teams are playing for in a rematch or in this one, a three-match, um, we're getting a some comps in these games. However, you go back to that week 14 game, and no Leonard Williams, no Adoree Jackson, no Xavier McKinney. To me, I'm not going to say you can completely throw that game out, but those are like the three most impactful defensive players, basically at three different levels that you can have right for this team. And so not having those guys out there is, is, is not a good comp. In my opinion, it's not something that we can really look at. So that week 14 game doesn't really play into my handicap in this one. What did you do with that game? And how did you kind of look at this from a, from a past meeting standpoint as we enter into the playoffs here? So I don't think that's the game to look at. I think it's the week 18 game that is the one to look at. And I understand that the Giants were playing mostly twos throughout that game. Um, You still got to look at the Philadelphia offense and the fact that the game finishes 22-16. The Giants were chasing uh, at the end of that game. And what I think you saw is that the Philadelphia offense was still the Philadelphia offense that you saw in the first game, it's just that they went one for five in the red zone. Mm-hmm. And Jalen Hurts has now had two weeks to get healthy. And as much as they admitted he was hurting after the game, mm-hmm. he also wasn't terrible right. in that game, right? He still was able to he was still was able to produce at a reasonable level. So uh, ultimately, I hate to say it because I hate to sound like I'm just being the same pessimists that Mm -hmm. I've been about the Giants for for so, so long 
guys. But if I'm going any direction, if you made me pick one thing in this game to play, I would lay the seven and a half with Philadelphia. I, I agree with you. Having those starters on the field makes a big difference. But I think what it does is it, it limits one option for a Philadelphia team that has many options, right? You talk about uh, Williams being on the field. Well, that's interior rush, right? And interior run defense. Uh, Philadelphia basically is running some version of RPO on most of its plays. And so if that means Jalen Hurts pulls it and goes to the outside, if that means Jalen Hurts throws the ball, then, you know, then I think that Philadelphia still has plenty of options. And the difference between... Last week and this week, I loved the Adoree Jackson addition last week because of what they could do to Justin Jefferson. Mm -hmm. And after the first drive, they did exactly that to Justin Jefferson. And they had two guys on him at all times. And the only one who was able to hurt them was TJ Hawkinson. That's not the same in, in Philadelphia when you have to deal with A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith. Uh, one of them is going to be open for this Philadelphia team, I think, on a consistent basis. The Giants are extremely weak beyond Adore Jackson in the secondary. Uh, offensively, the Giants have absolutely looked better. But I think what you also saw last week was a toothless Vikings defense that wasn't able to get a lot of pressure beyond Daniil Hunter against mm -hmm. Evan Neal on a few snaps. And when they did, it wrecked Giants drives. The Giants are not a team that can play from behind the sticks. And if the Giants get in situations where they're having to pass in third and longer, they don't have the receivers to separate against this Philadelphia set of cornerbacks. I mean, you're dealing with the best secondary in the NFL. So any way I slice this game up, I can't find a way that I feel like the Giants stay competitive for four quarters. We talked earlier about the teaser leg. It makes all the sense in the mm. world to take Philadelphia minus one and a half. But if you said to me, okay, take the four major markets on this game and what are you going to play? I would lay it with the Philadelphia Eagles. Given, a, given what you just said, we see 17 carries by Daniel Jones last week, right? And we know that he's athletic. We know that he's athletic enough for them to call quarterback runs, design quarterback runs and things. It doesn't have to be just scrambles with him and stuff. Do you, do you think because it worked so well last week, this is a winner go home type situation? You mentioned the corners that Philadelphia's going to put out on the field. Maybe the pass game isn't quite as effective. Do you think that we see something similar with Daniel Jones carrying the ball a ton? I mean, maybe there's an angle from that. The Eagles defense did allow six and a half yards per quarterback run for whatever reason this year. It was 31st in the NFL. Um, they allowed over nine yards per scramble as well for this team. And so, I mean, are we getting to a dozen carries or more for Daniel Jones? If that's the case, then maybe the angle is just maybe some some Jones props if you're interested in having some Giants tickets in your account. So what I think you have to look at is something that's a little bit secondary to how many design runs are there going to be? And do you believe that the Philadelphia Eagles are going to be able to get the kind of pressure on Daniel Jones that forces him to run? How quickly is he going to be looking to get out of the pocket? And I think that could be massive. I, I think Daniel Jones is probably not going to hang around and wait uh, against this Philadelphia rush because he doesn't have the receivers who are going to separate late in routes where he thinks, oh, I just have to wait that extra half beat for someone to come open. I think he's going to realize and probably be coached by Mike Kafka and Brian Dable to say, just take the gain when you can get the gain. If you can get out of the pocket and get three yards, it's a win for us in this game. So I would endorse you if you wanted to look at something on the over four carries. So, Stephen, we've got this team in the Eagles that you and I, I think, were a little bit higher on than a lot of the guys that do the power rankings for the site pretty much all all year long. And here we are. They're one of the final eight teams left in the NFL. And I think the question for you and I really is not necessarily so much if we've lost faith in the team or not. It's just, you know, listen, a lot of that has to do with Jalen Hurts being Jalen Hurts. He needs to be a dynamic runner in order to for this team to function and, and fire on all cylinders. Right. And so I do have at least a little bit of a pause heading into this one. If you watch that week 18 game and again, he's had another two weeks to rest and all that. But if you do watch that week 18 game, he made some business decisions in that game. There were certainly some times where he avoided contact and definitely fewer designed quarterback runs and plays and things like that. And so I, that being said, they did not list him on the injury report this week at all. And they didn't have to like on a Tuesday, they could have just put limited because for whatever reason, right? Like they could have done it. 
he he was not listed at all. So they were, you know, put him as, as, as a full go from the very beginning here this week. And so that does at least give me a little bit of confidence. I think heading into this, that we are getting, I'm not going to say a fully healthy Jalen hurts. Cause again, this apparently this, this thing, you just need to lay off of it for two months for it to completely heal or whatever. But I think we're getting 90% Jalen hurts. And if that's the case, then I still feel pretty confident in the team. Completely agree with you. And this line makes no sense to me, guys. It hasn't made sense to me all week. It was eight and a half around open. There's been Giants money coming in to move it. And, you know, I know that the Giants were missing those three players in the first matchup, Matt. And that's that's fair to, to bring that up. But that game at least has value, in, at least in terms of kind of a north star of, of around what the spread should be for this game. And that game closed seven, seven and a half in New York. And now we come back to this game and we're flipping home field and the Eagles get a bye week. And for it to only be a half point more or the same, depending on, on where you shop, makes no sense to me. The only reason, the only reasonable conclusion I can come up with is that some of the sharps don't believe Jalen Hurts is 100%. But again, he's not on the injury report. So this is entirely too cheap for me on Philadelphia. I think there's a bit of recency bias here with the Giants for what we saw them pulling the upset against Minnesota last week. And to me, that was a game of two teams that had records that far outperformed their metrics because you know we've you've heard me all year rail against the Minnesota Vikings and sure enough they you know they fall short in the playoffs but the Giants as well had the easiest schedule coming into the year by opponent win totals and they took advantage of it they put together a solid regular season Brian Dable has done an amazing job especially with his wide receivers he's got basically late round guys off the street playing receiver for him so I, it just makes no sense to me that this is only seven and a half. So slam dunk teaser for me here to pair with the Kansas City. And if you look at the Philadelphia offense, Matt, to your point, if we look at the Eagles offense from after the bye week until Jalen Hurts was injured, this was an elite offense. This was the number two offense in the league by EPA in that span. It was the number three offense by success rate. And Jalen Hurts, despite the label of being a Russian quarterback was still top 10 in drop back EPA. So I look at this matchup and I really can't find an area where the giants have a matchup advantage on the field. So if anything, it's maybe Lane Johnson. That's the only question mark I really have. He's playing with an injury at right tackle for mm -hmm. Philadelphia. That's going to require surgery after the season if the Giants pass rush can take advantage of that, then maybe they can make things uncomfortable for Jalen Hurts. But I, this line makes no sense to me, guys. I'm sorry. It's, it's, it's a slam dunk teaser leg for me. Adam, as you well know, you take the good with the bad with the Giants. They're the most blitz-heavy team in the NFL. And what that typically does when you blitz a ton, and this is not like tight end love podcast here or anything like that. I was just talking about how I loved Kelsey so much, but when you blitz a ton that just opens up opportunities for tight ends, right? I mean, like they're the, they're the safety valves. They're the guys that don't get very far down the line, you know, from the line of scrimmage or whatever. And, and you just go over and over again to tight ends whenever you're just getting blitzed a, a ton. And so on the season, Pro Football Focus had him as a 39 coverage grade against tight ends, which, as you can imagine, bottom in the NFL. They allowed a 75% catch rate, nearly eight yards a catch to tight ends. Um, they gave up 10 for 129 to Hawkinson just last week. I, I, Dallas Goddard, to me, is, again, I, I, I talked about Kelsey last game as well as a, as a target for me. I think Dallas Goddard is going to be a, a uh, used a ton in this game with as much as as the Giants blitz and stuff. And now I did I know we did see at least a little bit of a change in that last week. It were some situations where where normally in the regular season the Giants would have blitzed and Wink Martindale decided not to. And I, I know that he's not going to necessarily be predictable, but they're still going to come and they're still going to come a lot. And and with that, I think that. I think that Dallas Goddard could be a, an interesting target there from a from really and kind of the same thing I said with Kelsey from catches, yardage, touchdown score, you know, whatever, any kind of way you can want to go about tackling it. Well, think about what you just said and the fact that the Giants did not blitz as much last week and TJ Hawkinson still had that game after having 13 catches in the first meeting. Mm -hmm. 
between those teams. And Wink Martindale was very clear after that game and saying, yeah, we can be flexible. And they played more zone not only in that week, but they played more zone in the previous couple of weeks in the regular season. So they certainly are willing to change that up a little bit. But I think what you saw is that it doesn't matter necessarily when it comes to their ability to cover the tight end. Because if you look at the Giants in terms of an overall defensive unit, the front four is strong. They have some decent pieces in the secondary. The linebackers are abysmal. Yeah, I, I really do like that. So uh, I'll be looking at Goddard props all over the place as well. And certainly if you're just looking at any of the little same game parlay stuff and all that, I would at least toss a Goddard leg in there as well as I was doing that. Cincinnati Bengals and the Buffalo Bills. We have the Bills five and a half point home favorites here across the board rest of country. But we do have a total that varies from 48 and a half up to 49 and a half. So do shop that total if you're looking to play the total in this one. I don't need to tell you guys what we get here. We get a we get a rematch of a game that got suspended in the first quarter due to tragedy. Um, We are. I'm not, I'm, listen, we can't see the future. It looked like Cincinnati was having a lot of success early on in that game. It looked like they had a very good game plan as to how to attack this Buffalo defense. And they were kind of moving the ball at will there early on in that game against the Bills. Things could have changed. I get all that. I'm just giving you what we did see in the little bit of time that we did get to see it. Cincinnati last week did struggle a bit against the Ravens, but when you lose two linemen in the middle of the game, it's very tough to make the adjustments. And guys, the narrative all week in this game has been, yeah, but they're going to be down three starting linemen. Yeah, but they're going to be down three starting linemen. Yeah, but they're going to be down three starting linemen. Here's the deal. When you have to make those changes in game, it is much different than when you know exactly who you're going into the game with what position they're playing and they are getting reps at said position all week long in practice. Now, am I saying that them missing three starting offensive linemen is no, is, is of no concern. I'm not saying that it is certainly going to be of some concern, but it is different. I, you can't just, just look back to last week and say, yeah, but look at this offense and how much it struggled against the Ravens last week. And take that with you to this week because when you have to throw a guy in there who didn't think he was going to play and you have to all also a lot of times these backup linemen if you guys don't pay attention to this type of stuff it's like you know a, a guard goes down and you have to like just throw in a tackle to play guard right or a guard goes down and you move a tackle over and now you're moving one guy from one side to the other and you're doing all the shuffling to try to patchwork a line together well again you can patch that together and they can practice together at those positions all week long and at least have some sort of semblance of of an offensive line. So I do think it's a concern. I don't think it is something that I'm losing my mind over in this one. Um, Adam, I want to start with with, with you here. Um, I, am I being too – obviously everybody knows I love Cincinnati and, and, and have futures tickets on them and all the different stuff like that. So obviously I have a deep rooting interest for this team. But am I making light of this situation or does it make sense to say that, yeah, I mean, they looked like crap last week, but there was a kind of a fire drill and you have at least a week to, to throw a little water on that fire? It's not just the fire drill aspect, Matt. I think it's also two different teams. We saw a Baltimore defense that was ascending, right, that had been playing better. Um, some folks threw cold water on the whole idea of with Rokon Smith and without Rokon Smith based on who the opponents were. But we all we can say is they were playing better. Well, this Buffalo defense is not playing better. This has not been the Buffalo defense that got everybody excited at the beginning of the year. And ever since Von Miller went out and they haven't been able to generate pass rush with four the way that they had, then Buffalo has been in a spot where they're giving up points. And let's be honest about what happened last week. Even if you take the defensive score and the short fields out, Skylar Thompson still moved the football. Mm. Skylar Thompson moved the football against the Buffalo Bills. And now we have a situation where Joe Burrow, who has the receivers to get open quickly, is going to have the opportunity to move the ball against the Buffalo Bills. And I think that's key because if you're trying to get around the offensive line, you're trying to get the ball out fast. Now, look at last year in this round and Tennessee has a very good pass rush and they got after Burrow constantly and it did affect the Cincinnati offense. 
I just have not seen anything that resembles that out of Buffalo in quite a long time when it comes to the pass rush. So when we talk about the Cincinnati offensive line, someone has to be able to take advantage of it. And I don't know that Buffalo is necessarily the team to be able to take advantage of it. Stephen, we take a look at Josh Allen last week. Two interceptions, three fumbles. Of course, they eke out that win against the Dolphins. And listen, him being careless with the ball, I think, is certainly a concern heading into this game. But the offensive line, I think, is another something that we should bring up as a concern. The Dolphins got pressure on him on 32% of his dropback. So every third dropback, the Dolphins were getting at him. And he took seven sacks in that game against the Dolphins as well, right? So we do have a situation in which the Cincinnati Bengals are much more equipped, and especially on the defensive side of the ball, to if Josh Allen hands the offense some short fields and hands them some points and all that, the 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 inevitable comeback that we all thought was happening with the Bills last week that they were not going to lose to the Dolphins is not necessarily an inevitable comeback against the Cincinnati defense by any stretch of the imagination. Since week 10, this defense we continue to to talk about here, number three in EPA per play allowed, number four in success rate allowed, number four in rush EPA allowed. Like the Cincinnati defense has brought it over the second half of the course of the season. So if Josh Allen is reckless and gives them a few points and stuff like that, this, this isn't going to be the question of do they cover the five and a half? It's going to be like they're going to win this game outright. Can't disagree with you guys. I love where your heads are at. I haven't heard enough of it this week. I think it's been all bills, bills, bills throughout gambling Twitter this week. You know, I at least with the the content creators and the pro betters that are making media appearances, because in reality, the public is actually backing the this is a pros versus Joe's game. The public tickets are on the Bengals to cover and all the pro money is on Buffalo. So uh, we are definitely against the 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 sharp money here. But who cares? Because, you know, all the talk about the Bengals offensive line has not weighed into what we've seen from Buffalo over the second half of the season. Um Bottom three in turnovers overall for the year, like you said, Matt, like possible couple of extra possessions here for Cincinnati. And if you look at the last six weeks of the regular season, plus the wild card round, Buffalo's offense is no longer elite. This is not one of the top two offenses in the league. They are down to ninth in EPA right next to Cincinnati, 11th in success rate. Cincinnati is fifth over that span, basically close to identical in dropback EPA. And Josh Allen is 11th in dropback EPA. Joe Burrow is fifth. So what's happening here? I think Josh Allen is taking too many shots downfield because he's had to overcome the worst expected completion percentage in the league over the last six weeks in the wild card round, not bottom five, not bottom three, the worst expected completion percentage among quarterbacks with at least 100 plays. So J- Joe Burrow has an expected completion percentage 7% higher than Josh Allen. He's taking the easy stuff. He's getting the ball out of his hands. So, you know, I admittedly, I don't grind tape every week. I mm-hmm. fully respect all the guys that do. And the ones that I've seen, you know, on social media this week pointing things out are plays here and there where Josh Allen's taking a shot downfield to somebody. And there's like two guys wide open underneath that he's not mm-hmm. taking the layups on. If he starts doing that, then Cincinnati's probably going to be in trouble here. So it's but at this point, we have seven straight weeks of this where it's not working. His arm strength is not what it was before the elbow injury. So he's not hitting these guys in stride down the field. And Matt, I think you made an excellent point about the offensive line. Is it a concern? Absolutely. Of course it is. But all of the narrative that the Cincinnati offensive line has gotten better over the second half of the season, I think is misguided because they were still 30th overall on the year in pass block win rate. And for me, in reality, what happened was Joe Burrow just gets rid of the ball faster than every quarterback in the league other than Tom Brady, if you look at the next-gen stats. And if you look at the stat that Pro Football Reference puts out there in terms of percentage of times pressured per pass attempt, Cincinnati actually ranks among the top five teams in the league because he gets rid of the ball so quickly. So is this offensive line terrible? Yes. But it was terrible last year. They were still competitive in in playoff games. So, um, 
this is not a situation last week where they're a big favorite. We need them to cover a big number. This is the flip. And this was a two and a half point spread in Cincinnati just a couple of weeks ago. Now we're through the key numbers of three and four. I bet the Bengals plus four and a half. If this touches six somehow, I'm probably going to add a little bit more because I think that not enough emphasis has been put on what the Buffalo offense actually is this point versus what they were in the first half of the season. I rail on sports betting in Nevada all the time. Anybody that knows has watched this podcast absolutely knows that I talk uh, that I talk a lot of trash about Nevada sports betting. However, there's one little book at the south end of the strip that does not that does not juice numbers. So when bets get to a certain threshold, it moves. A six did happen at South Point here in Nevada, and with that. I jumped all over that damn six because it's the only six that has popped anywhere in the country. Like it was just, it's like they're, they don't juice numbers. So when they get to a tipping point, the number just moves. And so they put up a six. I took six with, uh, with Cincinnati. You're going to give me that key ish number here with a team that I think is live to win the game outright. I will certainly take that key ish number of six all day long in this thing. Listen, I don't think Zach Taylor is the, is the sharpest you know tool in the shed or anything like that but at least the guy has done enough or at least somebody got in his ear and was saying hey 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 quit running the ball so much right like we're a passing team take advantage of all of these weapons that we have in our hall of fame quarterback let's do this well since week 11 they have dropped back to pass on 66 percent of their plays Good. Despite despite only trailing by four points or more on on 10% of the plays. So it's like it's not even like they had to pass because they were down because they just haven't been down at all since week 11. It's just the choice that was made to utilize Jamar Chase and T Higgins and Tyler Boyd and Hayden Hurst. And, and let's be for real, Joe Mixon out of the backfield has become a good uh, a good weapon for them as well. I mean, like they made a conscious decision to move towards what they do best. And that is Joe Burrow and those guys that he has to throw the ball to. And so this secondary for the bills has given it up all year long. Like they have been vulnerable all year. I cannot see a situation in which they get shut down here, giving me points with a team that I think is live to win outright. I will take any day all day. And especially if I can get it to six, Steven, I'm with you. If this thing hits six for sure, I would recommend the bet to anybody out there at five and a half. I still would bet it if I wanted action on this game. It would be Cincinnati or pass for me for sure. And I might actually end up with a little sprinkle on the money line. I I really and truly think they are live to win this game outright. Now, on the flip side here, if we are playing some some prop stuff, and this kind of goes against the whole everything that I just laid out for the Bengals case, but from a big playability, because of what Steven just mentioned about Josh Allen hucking the ball down the field, well, at least the more times you huck the ball down the field, the more opportunities you have for these big plays. Eli Apple has given up 16 different plays of 15 plus yards on the season. He's averaging giving up 14.6 yards per reception, which is 114th out of corners in in the NFL. So like longest reception for the Bills, like be it either Gabe Davis or Steph Diggs or anything is like, I think it's very much in play here because of the style that Allen plays because of the routes that those guys run throughout the course of games. And then also a likely matchup at some point with Eli Apple, who just at one point or another during a game just has a complete meltdown and gets absolutely toasted. So uh, longest reception on any of those guys, I really do like a ton um, just because of the matchup and again, the style that, that Josh Allen and them like to play, but man, I'm super, super looking forward to this game on, on Sunday, Adam, if I were to ask you, because we do have legalized sports betting now in both of these States, I can't say that I can't say that I'm super confident that this does make it to six. What do, what do you think? I mean, like if you had your, in your, in your heart of hearts, your gut of gut, do you think that people, if they want to play Cincinnati, should wait to closer to kickoff or do you think that this is probably just going to stay in this kind of no man's land? I would wait because I don't think this is one of these situations where you're getting some sort of pro sharp head fake to mm. try to move it in, in a certain direction. Cause what, what's the value at, at you know what I yeah. mean? What's the value of getting it to uh, four or five, the other direction, right? It doesn't, yep. it doesn't make any sense. So I, I think it's possible it gets to six. I don't think it's beyond six, right? I think these two teams are, are too closely matched. Uh, just 
to be explicit from my side, I don't have a play on the side. I like the over uh, for, like with 48 and a half out there, especially and everything you guys have just talked about uh, with the Cincinnati defense and offense, which I think is where this thing hinges. You can look at Buffalo and Buffalo is going to put up its 20, 24 mm. points a game regardless. But if you think Cincinnati can keep pace, I don't think it's very hard to see this game getting to 49. And you know what, Matt? I've, I've yeah. heard a couple people on our Discord this week trying to, you know, take the other side here and say, well, Cincinnati should have lost to the Ravens last week. Entirely true. Like, they should have lost to the Ravens if not for the thick six or the, the fumble in the jungle, whatever you want to call it. But that doesn't matter. Like, we are handicapping for this week in this game only. And what they have shown us mm-hmm. over a bigger period of time other than the third matchup against the division opponent. And that's where we're coming at with this game. And it's also... Yeah. A dog at this point of more than a field goal entirely different situation you have to look at each game individually and move on from there yes this is this is a styles make fights game for sure comparatively to last week right i mean like the buffalo bills defense is hasn't is not and has not been stout for quite some time whereas the ravens defense was on an upward trajectory the entire second half of the season it is completely different look and i'm, I'm glad you brought that up because yes you cannot draw a conclusion from what you saw last week and carry that over into uh into this matchup it's here. truly been amazing four straight playoff wins for cincinnati where they've lost yards per play in every one of them and here i mm-hmm. am taking them as a dog <laughs> let's do it you're listening to the lines.com podcast network Looking for the latest player props and the best betting odds from the top U.S. sports books all in one place? Then join us right here every day this season for free picks and best bets from the sports betting experts you can trust. Check out the Lines.com NFL Megapod as Matt Brown, Steven Andrus, and Adam Candy break down every game for this weekend's football slate. Join the Coast to Coast podcast crew Mondays through Fridays as Nate Weitzer and Josh Lander bring you the best player props and game lines for Major League Baseball, the NBA, and the NFL. And tune in to Beat the Closing Line twice a week as Nicole Russo, Mo Nawara, and Eli Hershkovich dive into NFL opening lines, plus special guests from the sports betting world. So subscribe, rate, and review to the Lines Podcast Network, the source you can trust to make you a better sports better. Bet basketball, baseball, or hockey with a risk-free bet up to $600 at BetMGM. Sign up and use bonus code THELINES and you're on your way with the king of sportsbooks. Get the BetMGM app today and use promo code THELINES to make a risk-free bet up to $600. This is a new customer offer. Paid in free bets. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. 21 years or older to wager. Colorado, Indiana, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Nevada, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, or West Virginia only. Excludes Michigan disassociated persons. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem. Call one 800 5 in Colorado, Nevada, and Virginia, 1-800-270-7117. For confidential help in Michigan, 1-800-GAMBLER. In New Jersey, Pennsylvania, and West Virginia, and 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. In Tennessee, call or text the red line at 800-889-9789. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-9-WITH-IT. In Indiana, promotional offer not available in Nevada. Dallas Cowboys on the road at the San Francisco 49ers. This guys, uh, just this morning, actually, there were still a, still several three and a halves available. Now there's only one juiced three and a half left, and it has moved to four across the board in favor of the 49ers. Again, when I woke up a couple of hours ago, there were still three, three and a halves to be had. Those are no longer there. 46 to 46 and a half is your total in this one, Steven, listen, you're a 49ers guy. Brock Purdy has pretty much proven everybody, including me, wrong. I thought at some point you turn into a pumpkin. Like at some point, and that's not to say maybe that's not this week, but at some point along the way, you show that you are, you know, the last person taken in the draft. Literally one more name gets said and you do not get drafted. But he has proven everybody wrong. He has done what he has needed to do. And, and through that, they find themselves as, as four-point favorites over a Cowboys team that went out and had a very convincing win last week over the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So I'll, I'll go ahead and lay this over to you. What I will say, though, as the as the lead in here, 49ers played on Saturday afternoon and they stay at home. Cowboys had to fly to Tampa on a Monday night play. Now fly across the country to play a Sunday afternoon game here against th- this 49ers team. 
I don't think we should just take that lightly, right? I mean, there is, that's a lot of travel. That is a coast to coast flight. That is not really ever stopping in Dallas for them to, to, um, to, you know, check in at their house and, you know, have some normalcy and things like that. So I, I do think that we should at least take into consideration that San Francisco rest advantage and no travel whatsoever to the rest disadvantage and lots of travel on the Dallas side of things. Yeah, definitely an advantage there for the 49ers. And maybe that's why this has moved out a little bit to forward a lot of books. But I got to say, guys, this is pretty expensive for the 49ers in my mind. There was a good stretch there towards the second half of the year where some, you know, some books that are originators in these markets had the Cowboys slightly ahead of San Francisco as the top rated team in their power rankings out of the NFC. So if that's the case, then this can never be four for the 49ers. And I think there's still some priors on Dallas being baked in here from the last couple of weeks of the season. And I came on here last week and told you guys that I really didn't give a damn about what they showed in the last two weeks of the season when they had a very small chance of improving their playoff situation. So if we go back now and look at the Dallas Cowboys offense since Dak Prescott came back from injury until that that big Christmas Eve win over the Philadelphia Eagles. This has been an elite offense in that span. The Cowboys are second in EPA per play. They are fourth in success rate. And Dak Prescott has been third in drop back EPA and third in drop back success rate. So admittedly, as a 49ers fan, other than the Kansas City Chiefs, this Cowboys team was the team I did not want to face in the playoffs. So I think this is the de facto NFC championship game, at least in my mind. I think whoever wins this game beats either the Giants or the Eagles next week. And um, admittedly, I you know how I'm betting this game, I have San Francisco futures. I'm going to try and middle those futures and take Cowboys plus four here because I think the price is a little expensive. Uh, admittedly, though, I think this 49ers team is really good, but I think they're pretty darn close to what the Cowboys are at their peak. I don't know what Cowboys team's going to show up any given week, it seems. seems. But all the talk we had last year, Matt, about the Cowboys being a paper tiger and not beating any good teams, that's not this year's Cowboys team. This team this year has beaten good teams. And when they bring their best, they are among the best teams, at least one of the top five teams in the NFL. So I am very concerned this week as a 49ers fan. I laid it, Adam. I laid the three and a half with, with, with the 49ers. Um, I think that this defense just is a, is a different beast here for this Cowboys squad. And I think it's all fine and dandy what we've seen from them, you know, a good a good bit of the year. But listen, it's just there's a difference in facing good defenses than facing the very best defense in all of the NFL. If you look DV, DVOA by situation, right, for this 49ers team, first down passes, they're best against the number one in first down passes. First down runs, they're second against that. So again, you're not getting very much, you're not getting success on first down against this team. So now you're facing second and long. Well, against second down passes, they're fourth in the NFL. Against second down runs, they're third in the NFL. So now you're finding yourselves in third and longs and third and whatever. They're very first against third down runs and then they're third overall against third down passes. So, you know, by situation, the, the 49ers just put the, the defense just puts themselves in positions to succeed. You're not getting success on the early downs, which puts you in bad positions on in these later downs. And it equals not very many first downs, right? And not very many points against this team. And Dallas's use of Ezekiel Elliott in continuing to give him as many carries as he is getting. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not joking with you I, because we've been ragging on this on this pod Adam for half the season or not or longer Zeke's last 40 carries for this team 74 yards on his last 40 carries for the Cowboys and they continue to turn around and hand the ball to, to this guy I I think we're getting a coaching mismatch here obviously I like the defense better on the 49er side of things so that's why that's why I laid it what say you here in a game that is sitting three and a half four 46 total I will pass on the side. I think the total is the angle for me here. This is an over for me. I understand just how good the San Francisco defense is. I understand just how good the Dallas defense can be, but good offense in the end still beats good defense in the NFL. And we've seen 
five of the six wild card round games go over and the sixth would have if not for Brett Maher. So you're looking at a different scoring environment than you had earlier in the year. And Dallas's offense, with the exception of that dud that they laid in Washington, has been absolutely outstanding throughout the entire season. Uh, On the other side of things, what more can I say about San Francisco other than they are finally fully healthy? And we have not seen this offense with full health, with everyone since the McCaffrey trade being there at the same time and being healthy, right? What we saw was almost as soon as Christian McCaffrey came in, Debo Samuel went down and George Kittle has been working his way back. And probably the last two weeks of the regular season was when George Kittle started to look more like himself again. Well, all of the weapons are there now. And let's just, you know, go and say those guys are covered. Guess who's going to be one-on-one all the time? Brandon Ayuk's going to be uncovered, essentially, for San Francisco. And look, last week, I came on here and said I thought Eli Mitchell over was a good play. He got the nine carries. Yeah, right. He's got two yards. So I don't think <laughs> that's going to happen again either. Uh, every way I look at this game, every possible game script I see, and there are a lot of them because – Football Outsiders ranks variance, and the only two teams in the regular season that had higher variance than Dallas were Detroit and Denver. And you're talking about the Russell Wilson experience and the Detroit defense that was all the way up and all the way down. So you don't necessarily know what you're going to get from from Dallas week to week. Steven said that Steven mentioned the fact that, you know, when they bring their best, I don't know if they're going to bring their best, but I do know that when they do have their best, we're talking about the defense more than the offense. The offense has been there all year long for Dallas. So I'll play over 46. A couple of different props in this one that I like. Uh, Christian McCaffrey over 35 and a half receiving yards. Listen, if the Dallas defense is able to get a bunch of pressure on Brock Purdy and company, listen, Shanahan is smart enough to know how do you how do you combat that, right? You're getting the ball out quickly. You're throwing some screens. You're doing some different stuff like that to try to keep them at bay. They're going to have a lot of stuff drawn up for Christian McCaffrey as it is anyway. And I think then if you do believe that Dallas has any sort of success, I think that equals just more opportunity in the past game for Christian McCaffrey as well. So really like the over 35 and a half there for him. And Brock Purdy's rushing prop is set at six and a half yards. And if we think Micah Parsons is going to be able to get in that backfield a few different times, listen, Brock Purdy is sneaky athletic. He hadn't had to show it a ton this year, but if you go back and look at his collegiate statistics and what he did in college, like he ran the ball a decent amount in college. Like he's got a little bit of legs, a little bit of speed here. All we need is one little oh shit moment where he looks over his shoulder and sees Micah Parsons coming and he just like takes off around the corner or whatever. I think the more pressure that he's under, the more chance we get for that to to get over as well. But again, six and a half yards right now for Purdy on the rushing. I in two different batches of projections I ran, I never got lower than 10.1 yards for him in as far as rushing yardage. So uh, I, I'm going to play the the small edge here on the over for Purdy rushing yards as well. Steven, you, you, your boy Purdy can move. I don't know if you know that or not, but he's, he's got some he's got some wheels. Absolutely. And you know what I love, too? He doesn't necessarily like a, a seventh round rookie just lower his eyes and take off and run all the time. Right. Like How about. You know, the Mahomes light play he had last week where he's scrambling around, but keeping his eyes downfield, stays in bounds, takes a hit and delivers a strike for a touchdown. I mean, you find me another late round rookie quarterback that's doing that. That was really impressive to me. And, you know, I don't have any props in this game, but I do want to at least just point out one other thing here with this game that's really fascinating to me. Ben Baldwin on Twitter, he's a great follow. He puts out a lot of infographics and charts. And this week, what he did is he put defensive EPA per play on one axis, offensive EPA on the other, and he put every Super Bowl team from this century on the chart, plus the the divisional round teams that are still alive. And now it, put, it puts the 49ers with their year their year-long numbers there, which is loaded right like a lot of these games were Jimmy G so what I did is I went and just looked at what they were with Brock Purdy and the only offenses that have been better than the Brock Purdy 49ers in terms of offensive EPA per play are this year's Chiefs the Kansas City 2020 Super Bowl champions the Peyton Manning 50 touchdown 
past season with the Broncos, Kyle Shanahan's Atlanta Falcons in 2016, and the New England Patriots in 2011. And then there's, you know, the undefeated Patriots of 07 that are in a different stratosphere than everybody else. But that is really elite company for what this offense has been under Brock Purdy. Right. And the defense has been as good as the Legion of Boom Seahawks in 2013. Okay. All right. This is this is this is a pump the brakes moment on on the Brock Purdy offense numbers. Let me also read you the defenses that San Francisco played during the Brock Purdy era. Chargers, Cardinals, Saints, Dolphins, Bucks, Seahawks, Commanders, Raiders, Cardinals. I get that they're playing well and I'm fine with them playing well. But the idea of historic level Brock Purdy, first of all, small sample size. Second of all, look who they played. I'm not ready to crown anybody anything yet against that sort of thing. Like, I'm fine with the idea that maybe he's better than we thought he was. But putting him up there with, you know, I don't care. I mean, I'm not going to say I don't care what the numbers say, but. Come on, guys. Like, that's a lot. I should I should at least qualify that my conclusion of this is not that Brock Purdy is some amazing quarterback. It's that Kyle Shanahan is yeah. otherworldly when it comes to scheming this offense, that it's amazing that they're doing this with a seventh round quarterback like Kyle Shanahan. If he wins a Super Bowl, this is a Hall of Fame coach in my mind, what he's doing with this offense. So, Adam, you know, if we were power rating coaching staffs, the Cowboys would probably be dead last for me, right? In coaching staffs left in the playoffs. They would be well, eight, a li- oh, okay, eight of left eight in the playoffs. Okay. Yes. All right. Eight of eight. Yeah. No, of, of the teams left in the playoffs, like eight mm-hmm. of eight. And so with that, I, I, there will be a decision. There will be several decisions to be made in this game in which I will give massive advantage to what's going to be on the 49ers sideline than what's going to be on the Cowboys sideline. Like we look, we should all be talking right now because the assumption of rational thought would be that you would want to put the ball in your, in your playmakers hands as much as humanly possible. Tony Pollard's reception prop is only two and a half. Are, have any of us mentioned it or that we want to play it? Because no, because we don't have any faith in this team that they, they're going to put the ball in their best playmakers hands as much like that. That should be, we should be smashing the button going, Hey, they're going to be smart enough to know that they should No, because we don't have confidence that they're going to do that at all. And so I look at this and it's to me a huge advantage as well on the sidelines with Shanahan and his guys over the Cowboys and what they bring to the table here. I, I weirdly, you know, I, I weirdly think the four might even be a little short. I think this could be a, 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 a comeback down to earth moment here for this Cowboys team. And, and I, I would, I would lay the four if I didn't have the three and a half in my account already as it is anyway, uh, guys, listen, we're, We'll continue on, obviously, all the way through the playoffs, through the Super Bowl. We'll do some special pods along the way when the you know NFL draft stuff starts going more in earnest. We'll do some special stuff on here whenever we do get the early lines on stuff for next year and things like that. The reason we harp on all this stuff so incredibly much. Hey, Adam, there's eight teams left. First round quarterback, first round quarterback, first round quarterback, second round quarterback, first round quarterback, first round quarterback. And then you have the whole Purdy and, and, and Dak Prescott situation. But again, it's like the reason we make such a big deal about these first round quarterbacks is because they're good. Like there's a reason they got <laughs> drafted in the first round. Like it's, you know, it's like, here we are. All these teams have first round quarterbacks. Jalen Hurts could have gone in the first round. He slipped to like two picks into the second round. I mean, it's like. It's basically all first round quarterbacks when we do this. And that's why we're going to dissect every market for every quarterback market in the draft, every team that might be looking at a quarterback, all the different stuff like that, because frankly, it matters and it matters to these teams in the future. You know, what's fun about this round in particular, every quarterback in this round is interesting. Yeah. Right? Like has every, a story. We don't, yeah. Right. Yeah. Like, like we like, like, Thank the Lord above. We do not have Kirk Cousins in this round. <laughs> like every quarterback in this round is fun. We've got Mahomes, Lawrence and Allen Burrow in the AFC, like the fu- the present and future of the game. On the other side, you just mentioned Jalen Hurts. Daniel Jones is, is story just because yeah. I have no idea what Daniel Jones is. And I've been watching him for yeah. four years. So that's great for us. And then, of course, Prescott Purdy is uh, is its own fun yeah. little narrative. Yeah, it's it's amazing. I'm super excited for the the football this week guys um as we get out of here steven what's your what's your favorite bet you have in the account of the week the teaser on saturday i mean i know it's square as hell Mm -hmm. and everybody's doing it but but, 
you know, it, it doesn't mean that it's a lock to win. Right. Mm-hmm. But over the course of the season, teasers have been again for a second year in a row, our most profitable thing that we've done this year after having a brutal mm-hmm. start to the season. So the fact that I already think these lines are light on the favorites makes it even more valuable mm-hmm. that we can tease them down below three. So Eagles Chiefs teaser on Saturday for me. It's the same for me. Same bet. The same best bet that's in in my account here. And mine's a little different than my, my thoughts, a little different than yours is I actually think that these underdogs can find a path to being a little squirrely in this game and, and, and causing a little bit of trouble. So I'd well, rather have the confidence. With the coaches, especially with the coaches on Saturday, right? Doug Peters yeah. is going to pull out every bag of tricks yeah. he possibly can. Brian Dable might do the same. So there always, is always that risk. So that's why I'm, I, I just feel a little bit more comfortable in the teaser. Like Adam, favorite, favorite bet in the account for you, sir. Uh, just so the three of us are not saying all the same thing. <laughs> I'll go back to the over in the Dallas San Francisco game. I, I think it's probably on the wrong side of 47 guys. We are, we only ask one thing of you and that is help us out for free. It is, it is very free for you to hit that subscribe button down below. It's very free for you to give us a thumbs up and it's very free for you to get into that comment section and start telling us what your favorite bet is of the week. Do you disagree with us? What do you, do you what do you agree with? Is there a prop that we missed? Whatever it might be. All of that engagement certainly helps people find this channel and these videos as well. And so we do appreciate your absolutely free support. If you're listening to us on the podcast side of things, of course, it's the same thing each and every week. Please subscribe, rate, review. The more ratings we have, the higher up the charts we get, et cetera, et cetera. More people find this thing. And, and again, we everything we do is free here. So we do appreciate the support in that fashion from you guys out there hopefully you found some bets you like this week hopefully you found some analysis you like this week and good luck on all your bets here in the divisional round